according to the Lord's will. This Friday, 7 o'clock. If I was to ask you um, who's king after Saul, how many of you would know the answer? You can raise your hand. We'll try to do the teacher thing. That's it. Okay, message just changed. We're going to learn about King David. That was the easy one, guys. That was the easy one. Uh, raise your hand if you know who was king after uh, David. Okay, again, Branford, your representation is not as good as our visitors, but let's try one more time. So this is not going well. The point was, if I was to ask you who is king after Solomon, does anyone know that? After Solomon, if you're like me, it kind of turns into the rest of the kings. Um, and I don't know why that's like that, but we, we, we tend to spend a lot of time with Saul, David, and Solomon. After that, we're like, and the rest. And I think they weren't that good, which is true. We're going to be starting a series here, Lord willing, on the kings. On the kings. Just to let you know, this is, um, this is some of my favorite parts of the Bible to study because it's so practical. Remember what the Bible says about the nation of Israel. Uh, in my kind of interpretation, it basically goes like this. Learn from them. Okay, How to do life. You learn it from the Israelites. What to do, what not to do. And the king can be the picture kind of, of the nation at that time. Okay, uh, Sad to say, not a lot of uh, good kings. But we're going to be looking at these kings, every king, Lord willing, like I said, on a weekly basis. See what they did right and what they did wrong. Okay, what they did right and what they did wrong. So, we have Rehoboam. In fact, you'll see my portion today. This is where the kingdom gets split. Okay, we have a little civil war. Uh, Again, I have heard of a split in the nation for many years. If you were to ask me before this message exactly when it happened, I don't know if I would have been able to tell you. (laughs) I would have said, well, there was a split, yeah. And so I'm just encouraging us, hopefully, or trying to, is that we probably should get a little better on our history of Israel. We should probably get a little better on what happened, not just so that we're Bible scholars, so that we can learn from it. Uh, the Israelites typically are uh, those that uh, were a stiff-necked and stubborn people, and guess what? We're the same way. That was an amen, by the way. That was an amen. Uh, <laughs> So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm going to read the story here of when Rehoboam becomes king. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father. And his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. 
Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? They spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and consulted the young men who he had grown up with, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. But the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord has spoken by Ahiah, the Shulamite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. Lord Jesus Christ, We uh, thank you for your word again. Thank you so much that it is uh, still applicable today. If Man, Lord, it seems so applicable to today. We pray that you would teach us uh, simply how to be like you, that you would teach us how to walk the walk, that we would uh, honor the king, that we would uh, live lives worthy of the calling, that the world might look at us and be forced to ask us, who is your king? The world might look at us and be forced to, to uh, even deal with their own things in their lives, that they might come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, help us during this time. We pray again that your spirit would control me, that this series here that you have seen deemed fit for us to hear would be a series again on Sunday mornings that we might uh, be built up in the faith, that we would make lifestyle changes, that we would have our love for one another increase. Oh, Lord, we, uh, again, desperately need you to do all these things. Apart from you, we truly can do nothing. So we ask that you would do a mighty work. Be glorified and honored above all. In your name, amen. There's a lot there. I read a lot. Um, There's another chapter and a half, basically, on him. So, again, as some of these kings we go through, we might see um, not much written about them. And then there's some kings where we're just going to have to um, see where the Lord leads on what we should share. The reason I say that is, again, just to uh, encourage us, uh, there's a lot here. A lot here that I'm not going to cover this morning. Um, So whenever we have the question, what should I study this week? Ta-da! There you go, right there. King Rehoboam. You can study it again. It's okay. I will not cover it all. There's three things... I want to talk about with King Rehoboam. And first of all, if you're like me, just a, a, a sidebar, man, Jeroboam Rehoboam. 
I always get them confused. I, there was like a hundred times I had to stop in the ring and go, oh shoot, which one am I, which one am I thinking about? That didn't seem like Jeroboam, that seemed, oh man. So, Rehoboam is the king of Judah. Jeroboam is going to be the guy that's king of the ten northern tribes, which was actually prophesied by God. So, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Jeroboam later, but, um, in your own reading, just, you know, take that pause and make sure you're seeing an R before the J. Rehoboam versus Jeroboam. But there's some things here Rehoboam um, messed up with miserably. Okay? So remember, King David is the ultimate king. He gets more land than anyone else for the nation of Israel. I remember this walk through the Bible that said, Saul, no heart. David, whole heart. Solomon, half heart. Where I typically love to think that Solomon was like decent, just messed up a little. Not really. Um... A half heart for Solomon is a good explanation. He, quote, started off well, but he did some pretty nasty things for the nation of Israel. Uh, At the end of his kingship, they were idolatry up the wazoo. And uh, remember that famous line, he loved many foreign women. And all that stuff came into the nation. So now he has a son. And so the God has already prophesied that the kingdom would be split, that Jeroboam would actually go and, and take some of these uh, ten tribes to the north. And so Rehoboam is sitting here. He's inaugurated. There already seems to be some tension. King Solomon, is funny, interesting, even reading this, remember all the wonders he did. Uh, there was no king as wise as him. There was no king that did literal building up of a nation like him in the sense that he built navy fleet ships. Not really common at the time. He built, you know, the temple a seventh wonder of the world. He had engineering that was kind of above his time, so to speak. He was the guy on the planet that everyone's like, that dude knows what he's doing. And so some of that came into, he forced labor on the other countries around him to build all his stuff. And then somewhere, as it seems like Solomon wasn't really ever satisfied with what he was building, and he had the brain and he had the money and he had... Some way the resources with all this slave labor, he said, hey, let's keep building some awesome things. Well, suddenly some of the Israelites were asked to work along the slaves and it kind of got confusing. And then there was just a lot of taxation and a lot of labor to build Solomon's stuff. So Solomon dies, Rehoboam's there. And the first thing that people want to say is, hey, let's get a tax break. Not applicable at all to today, right? Just okay. Now, a little joke. Um. Didn't go over well. Whew. But, uh, so the people are basically saying, listen, you, you are, wor- like Solomon worked us really tough and he really taxed us. What are you going to do? In fact, the reason he's not getting inaugurated in Jerusalem, some would say, and he's going up to this place is to try to meet with the people. There's already tension. And look what the people say again. Listen, if you Lighten the burden that your father put on us. They're saying, we will serve you. We will serve you. So a mistake Rehoboam makes first. He would not listen to the older generation, but only to the younger generation. And I want to talk about this a little bit, because this is huge where we are right now as a culture. As you can see, there was older men in his life, the advisors for King Solomon, 
He asks them. The older generation says, listen, lighten it up. Lighten it up and these guys will serve you. You will basically have what your father had. But that's not good enough for him. So now he goes to the younger people that he grew up with. First of all, I want to let you know, in Second Chronicles, it says that he was young and inexperienced as a king. Young and inexperienced. He's 41 years old. I'm 41. Young and inexperienced. Okay? So he's coming in as a kid who grew up in the palace at age 41. He becomes inaugurated. He's young and inexperienced is what the Bible would say. And the older people are telling him, hey, you got, you got to loosen up. You've got to loosen up and these guys will serve you. And instead he goes to younger people who he grew up with and they said, hey, this is your chance, man. Show them who's boss. You tell them, I'm not only going to not lighten it up, I'll be harder on you. And it's because of this that they basically are about to have a civil war. And the ten tribes split and they become the northern kingdom and Judah uh, stays in the south. Why in the world should we listen to older people? <laughs> now again, this is a biblical principle. It doesn't mean every older person is wise. <laughs> it doesn't mean every younger person isn't wise. But there is a pattern biblically where we are to look to the older ones for advice and wisdom. And it is something that is drastically, drastically and rapidly leaving our culture. Rapidly. I want you to just remember what I'm talking about and the idea of the older generation and seeking them instead of the younger. I'm going to talk a little bit about an example from um, what's happening right now in the world, uh, but I don't want you to try to focus on that, so that's why I say it. Dwayne uh, Wade, a famous basketball player, has a son called Zion who just came out as transgender. And so he is just suddenly a, a huge advocate uh, for his son who now wants to be called Zaya, I believe. Um, and they're, you know, posting some things on social media. This is what his son said. What's the point of being on this earth if you're going to try to be someone you're not? Okay. So the interesting thing is, and again, I, it's hard not to think about the whole transgender thing. I'd like to remind us, I'm trying to think of more even the older versus the younger generation. This is a younger person around age 13 saying, what's the point of being on this earth if you're going to try to be someone you're not? To me, it's one of the most ironic statements out there because that's exactly what he's doing. He was born a boy and he's trying to be a, that's actually being what you're not. But you see, it's twisted. It's twisted. And the reason I'm saying this is because young people are figuring a lot of things out. That's why they need old people to set them straight. But somehow we're living in a generation where the older is not giving advice to the younger and they're more calling for the voice of the younger person to be heard above the older. That's where we're living, guys. You see all the craziness of the world and some of these shootings? They want to hear the young person's point of view. Great, we love them. They're not wise yet. They're not. <laughs> because they're young. That's not something bad to say. It's okay to be young and not be wise yet. You have a lot to learn. 
I have a lot to learn. It's a pattern, a biblical pattern in life. Let me tell you a few verses of what God says. In 1 Timothy 5, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What if an older person is actually wrong? The Bible says you better be careful the way you talk to him. You better be careful. You, you, you don't get to sit there as a younger person and rebuke an older person. You treat him like a dad. You treat him like a dad. Your mom, that's an older, way, an older woman who's going crazy, saying a lot of crazy things. You treat her like your mom. You wouldn't dare talk to your mom like that. Now, see, that would be some of the things that we hear in this room that we might connect with. The younger generation doesn't even get that line, by the way. You wouldn't talk to your mom that way. They don't understand what I mean by that. Because that's where we're at. Rehoboam had the choice. You can glean from the advice of older ones who worked with your father. And by the way, it looks like Solomon, I mean, he made a lot of mistakes spiritually. But just on paper as a nation, looks like he had some success. Or you listen to the younger guys. And he chooses to listen to the younger Leviticus 19, verse 32 says this, Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. In Job 12, 12, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not life bring understanding? I'd like to just give three reasons why we should um, listen to older people. We honor them and listen to them simply for the fact that they have more experience. Hence, more practical wisdom. Okay? It's not something they necessarily earned. It's just called life. It's called life. So, if there are those who have gone before me that have parented three daughters, even if they completely messed up as parents, they have been through parenting three daughters. So, they have a perspective that I don't have or I need to see because I'm in the middle of it. Okay? So, when you're in high school... You will hear things from older people like, when I was in high school, because they did it. They got out. They accomplished their goals. They might have even got a job. And so they can speak to the fact of what it's like to be in those situations. This is why older people should deserve to get some respect. They have practical wisdom. We honor them because this is a crazy one. They actually have given us things necessary for life, food, and water. In other words, a lot of times, especially as a parent, big joke in my house, you don't own anything in this house because you haven't paid for anything in this house. Okay, I'm the one doing that. Now, again, this seems like something funny in our generation. It used to be kind of like a, you actually think you own something in this house? Now us parents have to joke around about it and try to teach our kids, actually, you don't own anything. We do. <laughs> okay, this is how this generation is going. This is how Judgment is going. There is the truth to my father and mother provided for me, at least for the first 18 years of my life. I didn't pay for my food. I didn't pay for my water. I didn't pay for my shelter. I don't think I bought any clothes. I probably would have spent it on food. But um, the point is, there is definitely a piece there where I say, okay, you have provided for me. Okay? And in that, there's an attitude of, of gratitude and respect and honor. Okay? One day, we will be of an age and where we need to be taken care of. And so, 
this is the other piece of the puzzle. Is that one day people get old and real old. And then there might be this change of now the children taking care of the parents. Okay? And there is an honor and respect in that. There's a, to, to raise a child to think, one day you'll take care of me. And I'm taking care of you now. But one day I understand that role might get reversed. And so this is some of the things of why we need to establish the idea of older people. This is not just some kind of like cool cultural thing. This is a biblical principle. They deserve respect. And they deserve us listening to them. And we honor older people in our lives. That's what the next generation of Christians needs to bring back to our culture. Because we worship youth. We worship it. In a very practical way, how does that work here at the chapel? We have said <laughs> numerous times, guys, and I, I'm, I'm laughing because I don't want to get too serious, but we, we had to make announcements about kids cutting in front of older people in the food line, right? We have to, to uh, you know, talk about the fact that if there's adults there, and there's a kid running into the parking lot, we should be able to say something to the kid without them freaking out because we're adults and they're kids and we're just trying to protect them. Okay? We should be training our children, not just as parents, but as an assembly, that when an adult speaks to you, you should listen. That, that's, that's, that's what we need to do, guys. So I'd like to encourage us as parents, as those who don't have kids, all of us, is that there needs to be some way where if a child here is just being rude or disrespectful to someone older, there should, there should be people stepping into that, guys. <laughs> there should be people in a loving and gentle way going, you can't talk to that person like that. You can't do that. And somehow we're so like, oh, don't talk to my kid like that. I, guys, I don't know. And I, cause, because I'm reading this. I'm reading this. There is an, a, a, a pattern that younger people will start to only go to the younger. They will not go to the older for advice. And when that happens, that gets scary. The, the nation's about to have a civil war, and they're about to get split up. And it all starts with, I'm going to ignore the older, and I'm going to hang out with the younger. In verse 10, Starting back in, uh, in uh, chapter 12 of 1 Kings. And I've said this before, but I just think it's so interesting. It's mentioned here twice, and I emphasized it when I was reading. Then the young men who'd grown up with him. One of the problems of Rehoboam was he wasn't willing to let go of his upbringing. I don't think he ever really got away from his upbringing. Uh, just to put it in plain words, when you become a Christian... Regardless whether your upbringing was good or bad, there is now a sense of you live a new life as a new creature unto the Lord. And so there's a good evaluation process. What are some things that I took from my upbringing that were good? What are some things that were not the best? And how do I make sure I'm correcting those things in my life? So he wanted to sit there. I just think it was so interesting that the Bible says those that he grew up with is the people he's listening to. Okay, I think some of it was simple. He didn't want to let go of his privileges. You know, you grew up as a kid in the palace, and dad's got a lot of money, got a lot of women. 
pretty fun lifestyle. And now he's going, well, if I don't tax you like my dad did, what, what if I don't have all the fun stuff dad got or the stuff that I'm used to? I don't want to let go of my privileges. What privileges have you given up in your life since your conversion? If you haven't given up any, I'm just going to let it sit there. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, if you haven't given up any of your privileges in life since your conversion, that's the interesting thing. Paul, the Apostle Paul, gave up a lot. Gave up a lot of his upbringing. Remember that beautiful list. If you want to try to come at me, that's again my language, you know. Pharisee of a Pharisee, persecuted church. Here's, here's my resume. I count it all as rubbish. I let go of my upbringing. The Lord Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, sitting in heaven, being worshipped the whole time, became poor and came down to earth. Gave up. We can't comprehend what he gave up. I was thinking about uh, Marina today. There was a time where Marina gave up a good job to go serve the Lord. That's something we should look up to. Not everyone has to do that. But at the same time, I wanted to just bring it up. That's nice. That's a great thing. Gave up privileges of making decent money to go serve the Lord. I don't think he wanted to let go of that. Ray Boehm is like, "Mm, I kind of like who I grew up with. I kind of like what happened. He also followed in his father's footsteps of marrying a lot of women. In 2 Chronicles 11.21, it says he had 18 wives and 60 concubines. Not as much as daddy, but a lot. And why is that so? Because we have read sometimes here, is that the Bible said, when you have kings in Deuteronomy, you should only have one wife. And over and over, the Lord said, These wives from other nations will turn you to idolatry. Stay away. But hey, he's the king. And there's something about, you can almost see it. Well, dad had, you know, like 900 concubines. I only got 60, so I'm doing better. Could not get away from his upbringing. Solomon, uh, Set up a lot of idolatrous stuff. It says in 1 Kings 14.22, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. Oh, so I'll wait. 1 Kings 14, we're going to be in uh, verse 23. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones, and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land, and the people engaged in all detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. I, I, I want us to see that. What God had driven out for them in the land, they brought back in through their disobedience by choice. And we are the exact same people. Uh, you know, I just want to encourage us to think about our upbringing. 
To some of us, we need to again ask the question, is our faith the faith of our parents or is our faith our own? Have I just been growing up in the church and so I've never really made it my own, my own convictions, my own personal relationship even. This is just my lifestyle. Church is kind of like my lifestyle. Being Christian is kind of like my lifestyle. It's kind of how I was raised. There are some of us that, again, uh, you know, mom and dad were such a, quote, perfect family and so loving and so kind that they can do no wrong. And so you can't analyze and see the mistakes your parents made. There are some that come from homes that didn't do it right at all. And you swore you'd never be like them and you end up doing the exact same thing your parents did. All I can tell you is that Jesus is the chain breaker. He's the one that actually can stop cycles if you're willing to let go of your upbringing and serve him. Remember that Rehoboam is sitting here with granddaddy David. So his father had some problems. But he had a grandfather, David, that they still were talking about as a country. That made some mistakes but was humble about it. That everyone loved and adored, it seemed like, at certain times of the nation of Israel. He had what was in place to be a king that would turn the nation back to Jehovah. And know where the story is. This is like right in the beginning of inauguration. This is like, hey, here's your first job as king. What do you want to do? And he's not even close to leaning towards the God side. When life hits us, we have to be able to depend on our faith, and it should be strong. The third thing that we could learn from Rehoboam is that he lacked humility. And because of that, he had an enemy his whole life. And it not only affected him, but the country. So, if we, this is where we talk a little bit about uh, Jeroboam again. Okay? In Second uh, Chronicles 12, I'll read it to you real quick. Here's what it says. Second Chronicles 12 and verse 14, it says, And he did evil. He's talking about King Rehoboam. Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, were they not written in the book of Shemaiah, the prophet, and of Edio, the seer, concerning genealogies? And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So let's go back to what happens. Solomon is about to make all these idols things. And not that Jeroboam is, is necessarily a great guy, but historically here, Jeroboam goes against Solomon's labor in the task force, and King Solomon tries to kill him. Which is kind of interesting. I was like, wow, King Solomon really put like a, a death hit on someone? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that. But he did, and Jeroboam flees to Egypt. Well, Solomon dies, and Rehoboam's about to be king, and guess who comes on the scene? They, they talk, hey, Jeroboam, come on back up. Come back up. Solomon's dead. Rehoboam, we're about to have a new king. Jeroboam's already been promised through a prophet that he'll get the ten tribes to the north. Look what he says in verse 4 of chapter 12 of 1 Kings. Jeroboam, a man who's been, pro- who's again, not a good guy, 
but has been promised to ten tribes. In verse 4, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome servant of service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Jeroboam is looking at the new king saying, I'm telling you right now, you lighten this up and we will serve you. The older people saying, hey, buddy, lighten it up and we will serve you. Rehoboam has absolutely no humility because here's what the older people says. If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. This is the model of servant leadership. It's all the way back in the Old Testament. They're saying, buddy, don't strong arm these guys. You serve these people, they will be faithful to you as long as you're king. Just humble yourself a little bit. Rehoboam refuses. He has to get all big and bad and say, I'm going to make it worse. So Jeroboam goes, okay. And they're about to actually have a civil war. Rehoboam, you keep reading, tries to get, I think, 180,000 guys. They're from Judah. They're going to go attack the north. Israel's about to have a fight. God intervenes with another prophet. Basically telling both sides, listen, this, this split is for me. Don't fight. And we'll see a little bit. It was actually a time when Rehoboam was humble. And he made a good decision there. He was humble, and he goes back to Judah and starts establishing the two tribes in the south. Good decision. But he sits there, and he's about to go have civil war. Now, this is going to continue for the rest of their lives. Jeroboam's going to be king of the ten in the north. He's down here um, and the two in the south. Guess who also is below him? Egypt. Which they're a little upset that the nation of Israel, you know, kind of got freed a couple hundred years back. They're still enemies. And now you're not fighting against the nation of Israel. There's been a civil dispute. Now we're only going to have to go against two tribes. It's like a different kingdom. They're wide open now for plumage and all that stuff, which happens later. All this is because he refuses to be humble and serve the people, which is what a king should do. And let me explain what happens to the nation because of this. Well, Jeroboam's no dummy. So now remember, King Jeroboam is sitting there, and it's an amazing thing. This is also a great practical application to today's message. He sits there and says, when these Israelites start worshiping their God through the temple and the sacrifices, they will turn themselves back over to Rehoboam, and they will be loyal to their God, because that's what worship does. So instead... I'm going to set up some golden cats. And I'm going to put it in close proximity to where they don't have to travel far to go worship so that I can basically make sure they stay with the idols and they don't go back to Jehovah. Rehoboam, I don't think he understood that his lack of humility and his lack of trying to lessen a burden not only ripped the kingdom away from him, it turned the nation of Israel into worse idolaters than they ever had been. Here's what happens. Now Jeroboam is sitting there in the north. He's just making it idols everywhere. There is actually some priests who are going, this isn't right. And they flee to Judah. And they're actually with Rehoboam. They say, okay, and again, these are all the stories that we're kind of going over quickly, which is pretty amazing. But 
Jeroboam says anyone can be a priest. And they bring in all kinds of gods, which is an interesting line again. Here's what it says. Again, this is, you know, hundreds of years after Egypt. You know what the line was that he gave the people? Here are your golden calves that led you out of Egypt. Did you think that went away? Did you think that went away after Aaron? Hundreds of years, Israelites sat there and there was a lot of them that said, is Jehovah really the one that got us out of Egypt or was it those cats? Hundreds of years later, there was a lot of people that went, you know what? Those gold cows, they're the ones that, it was not Jehovah. It's never been Jehovah. There was those false idols that we got to worship. They probably wouldn't have said false. That was me, sorry. Hundreds of years later, that's what the line he's using. These are the gods that led you out of Egypt. There was idolatry going everywhere in this nation. He had an opportunity to be a servant leader and unify the people. And now, it's not just between him and Jeroboam. It's not just something political. The people are completely idolatrous. And you know what he does? He brings his own idolatry in. And now in the south, they're all doing idolatry. You know what happens? Egypt comes. Five years into his reign, Egypt comes in, and God is merciful again. And basically, instead of wiping them out, Egypt takes all their plunder, all the gold shields that Solomon made, so much that's in the, uh, you know, there in, the, um, in Judah and Jerusalem, the Egyptians come in and they just take away all the gold, but they don't kill them. And Rehoboam replaces the gold shields with bronze shields, which would symbolize God's favor turning into God's judgment. Interesting. Interesting. It only took five years of him reigning for Egypt to just go get all their gold. Everything Solomon worked for in his life, everything David, five years he got a new king, gone. Gone. And it started with one question. Will you just, we'll serve you if you just lighten up a little bit. I ain't doing that at all. What can we learn the positives It's amazing that he made so many mistakes. And again, for time's sake, I'm, I'm giving you the story. It's in Second Chronicles 12, and it's um, in First uh, Kings here. Um, 12 is um, the civil war didn't happen because of God's mercy, and he humbled himself. Let's actually read Second Chronicles 12. Let me get there. They did not have an all-out civil war because God. Because he humbled himself and uh, God allowed there not to be a civil war. Just kind of let him split. Second Chronicles 12 and verse 5, it says this. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shikshak, that's the Egyptian guy, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. Now when the Lord saw that, they humbled themselves. The word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. The, the positive thing in all this that Rehoboam doesn't have a lot of positive in his life. 
but the two times he humbled himself, God actually grants mercy. Isn't that amazing? You have a king that it says he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil. He brought tons of idolatry. He messed up a nation. And yet twice he humbles himself and God says, absolutely, I'll be merciful. I mean, guys, that should be something for us. <laughs> if there's a pride issue in our hearts today, there's just something we won't let go of. There's something that has just been bothering and we just won't give it to the Lord. Every time we humble ourselves before the Lord, the answer is mercy. Mercy. Again, the Egyptians should have wiped them out in battle. They should have destroyed them. Consequences still happened. They lost all the gold. They were made servants. But God in his mercy said, because you humbled me, I won't completely wipe you out. All we have to do as a people is be humble. <laughs> all we have to do as a people is say, God, I absolutely need you. God, I, I just, I cannot do this on my own. And he is always there to be merciful. We're going to have some fun with these kings. They messed up a lot. But I want to just quickly review and then I'm done. If you want to go home and just think, how can we practically apply... How can we teach that we should be listening to older people instead of younger? How can we practically apply that we should sometimes think about how we grew up? <laughs> and how does that affect us now? And have we given things up after we've been a believer to serve the Lord? We should also remember... When we lack humility and don't seek the Lord, you can be at war at people for the rest of your lives. And don't think it's just personal. You will affect lots of people, lots of people, and maybe affect them in the wrong way from your lifestyle. Because that's what he did. But if we humble ourselves, God is always faithful to be there when we're humbling ourselves and to help us along let's pray lord jesus christ thank you for who you are thank you that uh you are so humble um again i don't think we can really understand uh what it means when your word says you humbled yourself you become a man even to the point of death there is just so much humility there um I just, again, help us. Lord, it is in our nature to not be humble. It's in our nature to run things our own way. And yet, would you be merciful today that you would help us to be humble, that you would help us to rely on you, that you would help us to just have servant leadership. In your name, amen.